Okay, we're here for our weekly Bible study. It's July 2nd, 2000, 2006, and uh, we'll go ahead and just do a few current events before we start everything out. I received some emails this week. Uh, one was entitled, Presbyterians Receive Policy on Worship. Now, I'm just going to read to you from this little paragraph. Under an action taken by the Presbyterian Church in the, in the United States, the Divine Trinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit could also be known as mother, child, and womb. Or rock redeemer friend. Just short of approval, delegates voted to receive a, to quote, receive a policy paper on gender. Inclusive language for the Trinity. Now church officials can propose experimental liturgies with alternative phrasings for the Trinity. Well, why don't you just throw out the Bible too, because that's what you've done. I'm seeing a big move in um, a lot of these modern religions. The, the Mormons, one, there's not, there's a little-known doctrine in the Mormons that they talk about this mother goddess thing. And, and I, I talked to a guy about it one time. He said, oh, it's not even, it's not even permissive to utter her name. It seems as though normally when you talk about these female deities that are on par with, uh, with God the Father or Jesus Christ, you're not even supposed to utter their name most of the time, because they're so holy. And it's almost as though they're above God the Father. This isn't the only place I'm seeing this. And now we're seeing this permeate into the modern-day churches. Now, the Catholic religion already has this, because they've got Mary, the co-redemptrix. In other words, you've got to get to God, or you've got to get to Christ through Mary now. Because Mary's the loving mother, and Jesus is the angry son up there. And the only way we can get to Jesus is by pleading through Mary because that's her son, and he'll listen to his mom. That's what the Catholics teach. That's what they teach their, their, their people. So, um, it's something that, that uh, we're going to be seeing more and more and more of, is this female deity creeping in. Now, well, after all, it's, it's chauvinistic to just have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where's the mother figure in that whole scenario? That, that can't be right. That's not politically correct. I don't really care if it's politically correct. It's the Bible. And so, we're going to be seeing more and more of this. And this is, I think, mainly being done that when the Catholic religion takes all the other religions under the veil, because it's the most... Let's face it. If there was any one religious system in the world set up for all other religions to come under, the Catholic religion fits the bill, because they've got idol worship, it's the biggest, it's the richest, um, and it, it's set up. And not only that, now all these Marian apparitions aren't just happening for Catholics, they're happening for other religions now. The Muslims are seeing Mary, There's a, the Hindus are seeing Mary, and hey, it's just one more idol in their pantheon of idols that they worship. Well, it, now maybe this will just be their main idol. So... Although this is grievous, what I just read, it doesn't surprise me a bit. The second article was entitled, Americans Yawn at the Rise of the, of the Antichrist. The disclosure this week of a secret da data bank operation tracking international financial transactions has caused renewed concern about civil liberties in the United States. But this program is just the latest in a series of secret surveillance programs. Data banks and domestic operations justified as part of a war on terror. See, they're using that war on terror in order to justify everything, essentially. Um, even though the war's been contrived from the get-go. 
but they have to have a reason to implement and do what they're doing. Now, these computer data banks and programs are technically separate, but collectively could exceed the dimensions of DARPA's Total Information Access Program. Most of these systems have certain common characteristics, including the absence of congressional approval. So in other words, they don't need to have Congress approve any of this new secret stuff, this dark, this, these, they're called black operations, because they just don't. They don't need any congressional approval. So this is how you get into a dictatorial dictator system where we don't need your approval. We don't need to have a vote on anything. We're just going to do it, and you're going to like it because it's for national security. That's how well, they always use that as an excuse. And at the same time, they're taking away our freedoms and our securities by trading freedom for, for liberty. And you can't do it. You cannot trade freedom for liberty. You, you, you can't. Or for freedom for protection security, I should say. I'm sorry. This next article is entitled, Our Mother Jesus, a sermon by the U.S. Church's new head. Our Mother Jesus. The Episcopal Church of America descended into chaos after leading bishops in both the liberal and the conservative wings disassociated themselves from a last gasp effort to avert a schism with the worldwide Anglican com commune, communion. Just hours after its newly elected woman had preached a sermon in praise of our Mother Jesus. Newly elected woman preachers. Hmm. Wow. The Episcopal Church agreed to exercise restraint in appointing any more gay bishops after a tense day of debate and argument. So, in the, in the Episcopal Church, they're, they're having debate about gay bishops. They've, they've already appointed them. Women preachers who are talking about their mother, our, our, our mother Jesus. You know, this isn't. This is so far gone. The church is so far gone. There's no. I, I truly believe there's no hope for redemption in regard to these 501c3 churches that have gone this route. And um, they're using false Bible versions, and they're 501c3 corporations underneath the IRS, which the God Bible never called us to be. And now we've got all this other things, and it's no wonder, because you, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump eventually. You let that come into the church, and at first the church may have been, a am not going to say an Episcopal church, but say you had a strong Bible-believing church. Well, you let it go, and you let the leaven stay there. Well, this is a natural byproduct. We should expect this to happen. The Bible says it's going to happen. So, it's no wonder that it, that it has happened. Um, there's there's four, five other articles... Uh, underneath this one, and one was entitled, uh, Episcopals Reject Christ as the Only Way. Well, of course they're going to. They've already done that anyway. Episcopalians approve homosexual bishops. Um, U.S. churches delete Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different things that are going on there. Um, going on within the church right now. So we've, we've kind of touched upon this whole thing with women preachers, and um, let's just look a little bit further at, okay, what is, what can women do for the Lord? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be going off a, off a uh, uh, an article from David uh, Cloud, and um, he had an article recently entitled, What Can Women Do for the Lord? Now, we're going to be looking at this from a biblical standpoint, so if this offends you, then you need to refute it biblically. Okay, because the Bible is offensive. Truth is offensive to most people. 
And it's pathetic that people can sit in churches day, week after week, year after year in this country and never get any sound preaching. Their, 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 their ears are tickled. They've been prophesied deceits and lies. And that the, the people want it that way. They don't want to have any type of thing that's going to rock their boat or, or cause them to have any kind of negative feelings whatsoever. Um, Jesus preached far more on hell than he did on heaven. Jesus alone. Okay? The Bible is a harsh book. It's a black and white book. It's not a book of just love. There is a balance to God. There's a love side and there is a judgment side. It's a balance. See, that's what we don't have in the pulpits. We don't have balanced preaching. We don't have any preaching on church discipline, on all the sin in the church, on these false Bible versions, on how it's wrong to incorporate your church. We don't have these types of preaching. We only have... Things that make us feel good. Why? Because for the most part, the pastors are hirelings. And a hireling has no care for the flock. Just go into the book of Matthew. He doesn't, he doesn't care for his flock. It's a joke. So, what's he doing it for then? Filthy lucre. Money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Prestige. Look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the Bible. You know, why did they do it? Well... So that they, they could have a preeminent seat in the synagogues, so that they could go about and, and be worshipped as gods on this earth. So that all men would love them. But the Bible says, He that is highly esteemed in man eyes, man's eyes is an abomination in the sight of God. You know, Jesus said, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Blessed are you when ye shall, when ye shall suffer persecution for my sake, for great is your reward in heaven. Okay, so we're taught for the most part, in pulpits across America, the exact opposite of what we need to be taught. We're, there's no balanced preaching. I'm not saying there's not a time for, for, for a message on, on, the, on God's love. Many times I'll listen to these men, either on the radio or whatever, and if they would preach balanced, it'd be one thing, but they're only preaching one side of the story. I can listen to maybe a particular sermon and not really be in severe disagreement with a lot of what they're saying. But it's what they're not saying. That's the problem. They're not saying the other. They're ignoring the weightier matters, as, as the New Testament puts it. They're straining at gnats and swallowing camels. And that's the problem. You can't have that. If you do, well, the church is going to be destroyed. So, um, this Pastor Cloud received this email recently. Um, from a pastor. Now, this is from a pastor, and it, and it was entitled, <clears throat> quote, you are way off base with your theology on women preachers. Now, Pastor Cloud is not for women preachers, and I don't think the Bible is. I don't know. It's not that I don't think. I, do, I know the Bible is not. He goes on to say, just because a woman preaches doesn't mean she is exerting authority over men. You don't have to be a pastor to preach the word or hold the office of a prophet, it is clear that women did prophesy and pray openly in the church, both in the Old and New Testaments. You know that. Perhaps if men in many of our Baptist churches got on their knees and prayed a little more, or got out to witness in their communities a little, God would not have to use women as much as he does. Do you yourself allow women any voice at all in the church? That's not the question, number one allowing any voice. The woman, the, 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 the um, basis of this whole email is in the first line of the email, which is your theology on women preachers. 
That's what this is about. So now what he's trying to do is he all, all of a sudden he's trying right off the get-go to muddy the waters, to get off the issue, to... Um, people that want their sin will turn into accusers. That's what they'll typically do. When you see somebody that wants their sin, typically what they start doing is pointing the finger at you, getting the spotlight on you, so the spotlight's off of them. That's how accusers work. And he started right into this. Um, and then, and then, not only accusatory things, but justification of their sin. By accusing, then they can justify their own sin. Okay? But I want book, chapter, and verse. That's what I want. Okay? You're going to do something, let's show me in the Bible. So then he says, um, if you do... Do you do you yourself allow a woman any voice in the church at all? If you do, then you're guilty of a double standard because of your stand. Why don't you send them all home and let the men do all the teaching and all the praying and all the text? See what I mean? You know, now it's the pot calling the kettle black. But that's how they want it. And then he says, the, then he, the last line is, the woman can always ask the men what... It is the preacher said and ask questions. In other words, just keep the women at home. And then the, the women can say, what, what did the preacher say when they get home? See, see what I mean? There's no balance with this man. He just he, he wants to make the, uh, Pastor Cloud's argument seem so asinine, if he can. Even though all he's given us is his opinion. I didn't see one Bible verse he quoted in the whole thing. Then he says, sorry, my brother. He's not my brother. He's not my brother. I'm sorry. He's not. He's not my brother. I hear a lot of this stuff. I've had pastors, supposed pastors come to me that believe that in the first five books of the Bible, and that was basically that he calls himself a Karite Jew. Called me his brother. You're not my brother. You're not. You do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He doesn't believe that. He believes we got to earn our way into heaven by keeping the law in addition to these other things. Uh-uh. The gospel of grace is the gospel of grace, plus or minus nothing. For you are saved by faith, for you are said by grace, through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you doubt that any further, please read all of the book of Galatians and all of the book of Hebrews, critically, and come back to me and, and tell me how we're under the law still, after you read those two books. Anyway, I didn't mean to get off on that tangent. But, he says, sorry my brother, but double talk, don't cut it with God. So these men that are actually apostates are the ones that come back the most of the time and will basically accuse the other people of, of the very things they're guilty of. That's what I've noticed about what accusers do. They accuse you of the very thing they're guilty of. Because they want their sin. That's what it boils down to. All of it boils down to that. They want their sin. So, this is the reply from, from um, Pastor Cloud. He says, first of all, I have a couple verses that I would like to quote to you. Number one, Proverbs 18.13, one of my favorite verses, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame unto him. And then, Job 38.2, Who is this that darkleth counsel by words without knowledge? 
Well, that's a good verse. He's darkening counsel with words he's speaking, but they have no knowledge. They surely have no biblical knowledge behind them. They may have the knowledge of the world. They may have politically correct knowledge, but there's a lot of knowledge out there. We have to be able to discern between truth and error. My children are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The Bible says in Hosea 4.6. But the knowledge that it, this is in reference to is not just any knowledge. It is biblically based knowledge. It is not just any knowledge. There's a lot of knowledge out there. Daniel said in Daniel 12 verse 4, he says, it, and this is a paraphrase, but in the end times knowledge will increase. Okay? And that many would tr- run to and fro trying to seek that knowledge. Daniel 12, 4. Well, that's what we're doing today. We've got all this knowledge out here. Most of the knowledge in the church is deceptive knowledge. It's a little bit of truth mingled with a whole lot of deception or a whole lot of lie. So we've got to be real careful. That's why we have to have the standard of the Holy Bible, the King James Bible, as our standard. Because in today's day and age, it's more important than ever. Because you're just not going to get truth beyond the pages of this book, for the most part. Very, very few pastors that are that are preaching the truth anymore. So it says, he, he goes on to say in this letter, he says, these verses describe precisely what you're doing in your email to me. You are speaking out of ignorance. Ignorance not only of the scripture, but ignorance of what I teach on this subject. Amen. You will do well, my friend, to inform yourself before you speak out. As for what I preach about women's service to Christ, I do not teach that they cannot do anything, or that they are nothing in the work of God, far from it. I do believe that there are restrictions upon upon the woman's ministry, though, just as there are restrictions upon the man's. And that is because the Bible plainly says so. See, people have problems. See, all this is about is this man doesn't want to believe the Bible. His argument's with God. It's not really with Pastor Cloud, as long as Pastor Cloud's preaching the truth now. If you want to ignore the Bible, you're welcome to do so. But ever since God saved me, I have desired to obey it. Even men have scriptural restrictions on their ministries. Not all men, for example, can be pastors or deacons. That's right. God has high standards for those offices and therefore restricted them to certain men. Likewise, God has certain restrictions on women's ministries. As for the women women leaders in the Old Testament, I have replied to that in the article, Women Leaders in the Bible. And he gives a whole website link that you can go to. on It's wayoflife.org. Wayoflife, one word, dot org. And you would do a keyword search for women leaders in the Bible. I'm, I can't really give you the whole link here because it's pretty long. But he's got a search engine on that website that you can go search. Women leaders in the Bible. You can also sign up for his um, email alerts. So the following is a teaching about women. This sermon... I preached, um, he preached this in Korea last month. Work, women in the work of the Lord. There are two errors among Christians in regard to the women's ministry. Some teach that women can do anything, and that's not scriptural. Others teach that women can do almost nothing, that is also not scriptural. Godly women have a large role in the work of God. Though they have some limitations and there are some restrictions upon their work, they should not be despised by the churches. The Bible often mentions women in an honorable manner. So we're going to look at first the limitations of a woman's ministry. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. 
Let's just turn there real quick. First Timothy two eleven and fifteen. Actually, I tell you what, let's go back a couple verses here. At verse 9, let's start at verse 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Oh, that's not preached very much anymore in the pulpits either, now is it? With shamefacedness and sobriety, not with the broiding, broiding hair or gold or pearls or costly array. This is vanity. Okay, that's why they're saying this. Okay, shamefacedness, meaning like a humility before. Sobriety, meaning sober. Okay, not all drugged out. Like a lot of women are. I'm sorry, they are. They're drugged out on, on prescription meds. I'm sorry, but that's that's sorcery. It's where, we, it's where we derive the word pharmakia in the Bible, which is sorcery. Pharmakia. You're drugged out on mind-altering drugs. I don't care if they're from a, from a medical doctor or not. I don't think it's biblical. I'm sorry. Well, I have to have them or I couldn't function. Well, you know something? What's going to happen when times get really, really bad and it's coming and you can't get your meds anymore? Are you going to give up on God then? Because you don't have your meds? Or are you going to get on your knees? That's the time we're going to have to be... We're, we're, God's going to take all the crutches away, most likely. I think He is. I think we're moving into that time where we're going to have to rely solely on God. And we're not going to have, if we put anything above the Lord, well, I'll do this if, and if, no, there's, there shouldn't be any if, ands, or buts. Now, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am anybody. Okay, I'm not saying that, that, that I'm sitting here saying, you know, I'm so perfect and, and holy or whatever, and I'm not saying it's going to be easy by any stretch of imagination. But the more world and sin you have out of your life moving into the times we're living in, the better off you're going to be. That's the point I'm trying to make. That's what we need to do. So, then it goes on in verse 10. But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So, okay, women are, are to have a, uh, a manner of godliness they operate in, and then works following. Okay? It's not that we're saved by good works. Okay? Because if we could, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2.11, we could boast about our salvation. Look what I did, I earned my way to heaven. No, you're earning your way to hell. If you think you're earning your way to heaven, actually you're doing the exact opposite. You're earning your way to hell. Okay? Then verse 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. I don't know, the Bible says it, not me. If you have a problem with it, it's in the word of God. Okay? Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Um, then it says, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. The Bible says it, okay? Not me. Not me. For Adam was first formed, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Okay, now, what is this telling us? Well, it's saying that Adam was not deceived because he wasn't. He knew what he was doing when he took the apple. Okay? Eve, he came to her and beguiled Eve. 
He didn't come to Adam because he knew it wasn't going to work if he went to Adam. Adam was deceived, or Adam was not deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing. Okay? So, in a way, I don't know how God looks at it all, really, but, but, but I don't know if Adam's sin was more grievous in God's sight because he knew exactly what he was doing. The woman being deceived, but the woman was being deceived was in transgression. Okay, so the woman was deceived. Now, this is a, this. All these verses are being given under the same context. Okay, so as to some some person might say, well, why is this the way it is? Well, look at verses fourteen and fifteen. There's your explanation. Because women are more easily deceived than a man. The Bible says it, not me. Not Scott Johnson. The Bible does. I'm sorry. Are there certain things that women are better at than men? Yes. Are there certain things women are more open to than men? Yes. That's just the way God made us, okay? I'm sorry. Number Verse 15. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith um, and charity and holiness with sobriety. Okay, now, all these verses... Uh, we need to be looking at in that context. Now, let's, let's look at these a little bit further. So, number one, some things that we can get uh, out of these verses. The woman is to have a humble, teachable spirit and is not to try to push herself into leadership positions. Let's compare this with 1 Peter 3, 4. 1 Peter 3, 4. Let's, again, let's just go to verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Well, now, it said back here, it says in verse 11, in the ones we just read, the verses we just read in 1 Timothy 2, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Subjection to who? Where it says right here, in 1 Peter 3, 1, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. That, so that's where we're to be in subjection to. Now, if you're a widow... Okay, or something like that. You're directly in subjection to, um, let's say, if you were at church, your pastor, obviously, and unto the Lord. Okay? So then it says, That if any obey not the word, that they may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So what, what does it mean? It says, may without the word. Okay? their husbands, if they're not saved. Okay? That if any obey not the word, they may also without the word, in other words, those are without the word of God, those are those are that are almost outside the word of God, be won by the conversation of their wives. Okay? While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Okay? Chaste means like having discretion, humility, um, these types of things, chase conversation, coupled with fear. Well, the Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, bless God, I'm, I'm once saved, always saved. I can live like the devil and do whatever I want after I get saved. I don't have to have no fear of God. That's not what the Bible says. I'm sorry. The Bible says we're supposed to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, but that's not taught anymore either. Chaste also means pure, clean, not corrupt. Okay? Uh, so, your chaste conversation coupled with fear. 
Fear of God. It's not fear of man, that's for sure. Okay. Then verse 3, Whose adorning let it be not that with outward adorning of plaiting the hair, or of wearing of gold, or of putting on, on of apparel. Again, that talks about the way that a woman is supposed to dress. It's really not, they're not supposed to dress really to draw attention in themselves like a firefly will get drew, drew to a flame or something like that, like a lot of women tend to dress. It's not about that. Then in verse 4, But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, great price. Well, whoa, that's really rare nowadays. A meek and a quiet spirit? Which is in the, which is in the sight of God, great price? Most women rule over the men. There's no way a woman ruling over the man can have a meek and quiet spirit. But then again, the men were the ones that let him do it. They never took the bull by the horns. They, 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 they never exercised godly authority over the house. Many reasons for that. That's a whole other sermon. It's pathetic. I'm sorry. It's pathetic. It really is. Well, if you don't, if you as, as a man don't exercise authority, godly authority over your wife, then you deserve what you get. I'm sorry. I've been there. I know. I've been in a marriage where, where, where this was the case. Now, in that particular circumstance, I was married to somebody that I had no business being with, and God took me to the woodshed. Well, whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. Well, I was with chastisement. <laughs> there was ever a time I knew I was God's kid, that was the time. Was I in God's perfect will? No. Was I in his permissive will? Evidently. He was permitting it to happen. It was like going through a cheese grinder backwards, but he was permitting it to happen. Was it really fun? So, hey, I, I got what I deserve. Actually, I deserve a lot worse. But, I went through that, I got through it, and, and then the Lord showed me these things after I got out of that marriage. So then it says in verse 5, it says, For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. There it says it again. Now, if you're with the wrong woman and you had no right being with her, now remember the Bible says, What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Well, what if he never joined you? What if, what if you were saved and he wasn't saved and you got married? How could God have ever joined you two together? You were saved and he wasn't. Well, you did something totally unbiblical, marrying him. Now, if you, if you were married and you got saved, that's a different story. Okay? God knows the beginning from the end. But I don't see any scriptural justification at all for a, for a, uh, somebody to marry an unbeliever ever, 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 ever. In fact, it's all, you know, through the New Testament. You're not supposed to do this. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So in that circumstance where it says, what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. What if you were never even joined by God? I don't care if you have a marriage license, but what if God, did God ordain it? That's a whole other subject that we could get into. So then it says, even, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters are ye, as long as ye do well. Well, it sounds like it's conditional to me. As long as ye do well? Hmm. Whose daughters are ye? 
and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, this is biblical godly knowledge. This is truth. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Well, this is the way you get your prayers hindered. By honoring not your wife as unto the weaker vessel. Your team. Your team when you're married. Period. Okay? So, you want to make sure that team is in unison, lest your prayers be hindered. Well, there's a lot of people that say, oh, well, just, they quote the verses about getting your prayers answered. But then there's a lot of things that you can do to not get your prayers answered. This is one. The Bible says in, in Psalms uh, 66, verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Well, that's what you've got in 99.999% of all people who walk in the planet. They're regarding so much iniquity in their heart, how is God going to hear them? You know? Well, I don't feel like he's answering my prayers. Well, yeah, he's probably not. How can he? He cannot contradict his own word. But see, they're, they're just, they're not, they're, they're ignoring so much of the word of God in order to justify their own sin. They're going by the teaching of man instead of the teachings of God. They're putting their trust in man. Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. The Bible said it. You're not supposed to put your trust in man. Then it says in verse 8, Finally be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. Okay, so let's go let's go back to the, the teaching here. To his next point he says, There are two simple restrictions on the woman's ministry. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor nor to usurp authority over man, but to be in silence. This is first Timothy two twelve. A she's not allowed to usurp authority over a man. Obviously, then, she can never hold a position such as pastor. That's obvious. I mean, just look at the biblical qualifications for a pastor and deacon. Husband of one wife. Husband of one wife. It says it over and over and over in those passages. I don't know how many times it says it. It doesn't say the wife of one husband. It doesn't say husband of one wife and or the wife of one husband. It doesn't say that. It doesn't. So, this isn't my opinion... We're staying away from Scott's opinion today. We're talking about what does the Bible say? Why, this offends me. I'm sorry. Sorry. My life's not a popularity contest. And if you stick to the word of God, neither will yours be. It cannot be. In fact, you will be hated of all men. And in fact, most of the people that are going to really, really hate you in the times we're moving into are the church. They're going to be the ones that turn you in. And that hate you. Because you're not going along with the program. When the pastors are used by uh, Federal Emergency Management Association to pacify the masses and use their churches for places called a, for, a forced vaccination and, and all these places where they can put out the wrong news. Because that's all set up in place. Because they're 501c3 organizations. And I've got the emails I can send you on it. And in fact, I've already put them out. When all that's in place... 
they're going to be the ones that are turning real Bible-believing Christians over to the government. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Oh well, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I just pray to God He give, he give all the true remnant believers boldness to stand in the time of trouble. The Bible says because they love not their life unto the death. Hold on. Because they love their life not... In other words, they love their life They love their life not unto death. Okay? When you have something like this, you have to be willing to die. If, if you're willing to live for the Lord, you have to be willing to die for Him according to the Bible. Is that going to be the the, um, the ultimate end of every Christian? No. No, it's not. But are you willing? That's the key. Are you willing? Because if you're not willing, that's probably the very thing that God's going to test you with. I'm just, I'm telling you, that's what I've seen throughout Scripture. Oh boy, that's really not popular preaching. I, I don't agree with that. Well, then go into the Bible and search it out. Go into the Bible and search that thing out. Paul said, and to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Not really pop popular preaching there. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I don't know. I don't want to take any chances. That's for sure. So, she's not allowed to usurp authority over, over the man. Obviously, then, she can never hold a position such as pastor. In contrast to this biblical restriction we have in churches today, such as the Yodio Full Gospel Church of Seoul, Korea, pastored by David Yongi Cho, which have many women preachers, it is also true that God's standards for pastors and deacons do not fit a woman. In that one of the qualifications is that the is that the office holder must be the husband of one wife. First Timothy three, two and twelve. Obviously God has qualifications for the wives and pastors and deacons. First Timothy three eleven. It is obvious that he is therefore not talking about women pastors or deacons because women women don't have wives. Let me just read that real quick, if this is the first time someone's hearing this. Because really, honestly, this isn't even a point of debate in the Bible. In the Bible, this isn't a point. Now, if you have a, if you have your nice watered-down perverted Bible, like an NIV that has 64,098 less words than a King James Bible, which is almost 10% of the total text, which was derived from two Catholic manuscripts, the Sinaiticanus and the Vaticanus, that contradicted themselves in so many places that every time they contradicted, the Catholics, the two people translating it, Westcott and Hort, who were occultists, who had a club called the Ghostly Guild, where they talked to uh, where they where they talked to dead um, people that were supposedly dead. This is called necromancy. It's forbidden in the Bible. These are the people that translated your Bible. They are. They're the, they're the ones that translated the revised version of 1881 that spawned the Bible you're reading. The Vaticanus and the Sinaiticanus manuscripts. They contradicted themselves so much. That every time they did, they just said, well, we'll just use the Vaticanus instead of the Sinaiticanus. That's the word you're standing on. Where did those come from? Ultimately, those came from Alexandria, Egypt. Egypt. From the Alexandrian Library. Total apostate Gnostic sources. And that's what you're using, if, that's, if, if those are the versions you're using. I would highly recommend you get a King James Bible and stick with that. Because that's all you need.
So if we go to, to 1 Timothy um, 3, verse, well, let's just say 2. A bishop then must be blameless. Now, bishop is also a term for a pastor. Okay? A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, and of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Um, let's see, then let's go to verse uh, 12. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. There's no women deacons or pastors, or bishops, whatever you want to call them. There's none. Sorry. Now, where do the Catholics come up, what do the Catholics do with this when it talks about a priest? Well, we can't marry anybody. Where does it say that in the Bible? It says you've got to be the husband of one wife. That's why there's so much pedophilia and homosexuality with these Catholic priests, because of that very reason. Because they're doing something against nature. It's against, now, I'm not saying there's not people that are not called to that. The Bible talks about there's certain men, there's certain women that are called, where, they don't, where they're called just to be um, single, so that they could devote themselves fully to God. Great, but not everybody, not most people are called to that. It's an exception rather than the rule, whereas the priests and the Catholic Church make it a rule. And the nuns are the same way. It's all demonic. So, it says then, um, then the second point is that she's not allowed to teach men. This does not mean that a woman can never talk to a man about the Lord. I do not believe it is wrong for a woman to give her testimony and to share Christ with men in a casual setting. Not long ago, I received an email from a woman who wanted to talk to her father-in-law about the Lord. She wanted to know if I thought that would be appropriate. I told her that she should definitely talk to her father-in-law about Christ. But she's not up behind a pulpit preaching. That's the difference, okay? She's not over, a, like Joyce Myers is up there on TV. Now, I'm sorry, but that woman doesn't have a submissive bone in her body. If you've ever heard just the tone of her voice, she talks like a drill sergeant. I can't even imagine. I don't care what she would say about her husband in the pulpit. I'm sorry, but I don't believe that she's in subjection to her husband. There is no way that woman, I don't believe she's in subjection to really anybody. She's sure not in subjection to the Word of God. Because if she was, she wouldn't be doing what she's doing. Well, God called me to. No, he didn't. No, he didn't, not if it contradicts the Bible. If what you believe God called you to contradicts the word of God, you did not hear from God. Period. You heard from the devil in one way, shape, or form. Well, I know it was God. Well, then, you know what? You're trusting in your own heart rather than the word of God. You are! You're trusting in, in, in your own heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who was the one that was easily, more easily deceived? Eve? Sorry. Can men be deceived? Yes. I'm not saying men can't be deceived. If, if the men were doing what they should be doing, the woman wouldn't be in this position in the first place, because they would be under subjection. If the, man, if the men would have more backbone and do biblically what they need to be doing. So that's the whole, that's the whole um, difference there. So, we go further. Um, The woman who first arrived at Christ's empty tomb were told to go and tell the disciples that Jesus had risen. This was in Matthew 28, 7 and 8. This does not mean we can ignore plain restrictions in other passages, such as 1 Timothy 2, 12, which is um, 
First Timothy 2.12 is the one where it says, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. So, but it does not tell us that women can testify to men under certain conditions. Okay, so, so again, you need to rightly divide the word of truth. Second Timothy 2.15 You need to rightly divide the word of God. There needs to be a balance here. See, what I don't see is balance. I don't see, I see particular preachers preaching all the good stuff, all the stuff people want to hear, but there's no balance in their preaching. So then, we go further. What 1 Timothy 2.12 means, that the women cannot teach with authority, this is in the context. Examples are teaching from the pulpit, teaching Sunday school classes, teaching at Bible conferences to mixed crowds of men and women. Teaching at Bible colleges. When a woman stands before a mixed crowd, that includes men, and opens the Bible, and preaches or teaches, she is in authority. Well, I, I'd say he's right there. That's just, that's just obvious. There is no more authoritative thing in the world than to teach or preach the Bible. Especially if you're in front of in a pulpit doing it. God's word forbids a woman to do that. Now, what if, the, what if the crowd was all women and she was teaching them? I, I don't see a problem so much with that. Again, we would want to... You'd want to keep an eye to making sure that she's still in subjection to her husband. And... If she was still biblically fulfilling what the Bible says a woman has to do, and she was teaching other women, that would be one thing. Okay, well, then they'll, they'll say, well, that's what Joyce Myers does. No, uh-uh. Sorry. Number one, she's up on TV. Well, how many men are watching? I know I've, I've just turned it on just to watch that apostate stuff. Well, that right there disqualifies her. I'm sorry. She's not supposed to be up there doing that. Well, she's just a pure women's ministry. She can do this. No, I'm sorry. I don't see it being biblical at all. I don't see it being biblical at all. Okay, so, getting, moving further, um, so she is not allowed to teach men. Uh, this is the point that we were, we were talk, talking about here. Um, what 1 Timothy 2.12 means that the woman cannot teach with authority. This is in the this is this is the context. First Timothy two twelve. Let's just read that again. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Okay, so examples are teaching from the pulpit, teaching Sunday school classes teaching at Bible conferences to mixed crowds of men, teaching at Bible colleges. The woman stands before a mixed crowd that includes men and opens the Bible and preaches or teaches. She is taking the authority. There is no more authoritative thing to do than preach or teach from the Word of God. Number three, God tells us the reason for these limitations. For Adam was formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. First, the order of creation requires these limitations. The woman was created after the man, to be his help me, and not the head. It's another point we didn't cover so far. Second, the nature of the woman requires these limitations. 
the woman was not created to lead, but to serve, and she was given the equipment to do the latter, and not the former. But don't you know, the devil tries to get in that every single time he can, and the woman, if you, if, if let, will try to usurp authority over the man, most of the time, if the man lets her. So that's the, that's the difference. That's why the, the, everything needs to be done in decency and in order. I'm not speaking against women, I'm just saying... All you got to do is look at the modern day church to prove out what I'm saying. Oh, well, that's bigoted. What? No, it's not. Look at the modern day church and see who wears the pants because the men don't have backbones. I don't have to have any more, more evidence than that going on in America. By their fruit, ye shall know them. What's the fruit of this whole thing? So she is, she is not to lead but to serve. She was given the equipment to do the latter, not the former. As a result of this, she is more easily deceived. God, for God tells us the woman's greatest area of influence, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, charity, and holiness with sobriety. This is 1 Timothy 2.15. In this verse, Paul encourages the women not to be discouraged because of the fall, but to know that they have a very important role in the world and in the church. It is, it is possible that this faint allusion to God's promise to Eve that her seed would bruise the head of the serpent. The prophecy of Christ's coming as man's savior. It is a great encouragement to godly women to remember that through the woman was the first sinner. The woman is also to be the instrument that God used to bring the savior into the world that sinners would be redeemed. It's a pretty neat point there. Okay, and that's what this, this verse 15 may be in reference to. Okay, or at least in reference to in part. She's not, it, when it says here, she shall be saved in childbearing, this isn't like, okay, now we've come to works-based theology or something. She's saved when she gives birth. No, that would be contradictory to the whole New Testament. We have to rightly divide the word of truth here, okay, in regard to this. Um, another meaning for that word can be preserved. Okay? Meaning, if a woman does what a woman's called to do, in a biblical godly marriage, which would be childbearing, um, being in subjection to their husband, uh, if they continue in holiness and charity and faith. Okay, these are the works that will be forthcoming after salvation. Okay? Now, if, she can't, if she's barren, does that mean she can't be saved? Come on! Come let us reason together, saith the Lord. That would be contradictory to the whole... So don't start a cult based on this one verse. Okay, like a lot of people want to do. I talked to a guy this last weekend, and I mean, my word, I never... The guy was so full of knowledge, but so much of it was knowledge puffeth up. What is puffeth up? Pride. These people get into pride, and they think they know everything. They ignore. He started his own cult. I went up to his website. First, first thing on his website, Paul the Usurper. In other words, everything that Paul, he was just a usurper. He went to Arabia. He didn't really have, when he got saved, he was on the road to Damascus. He went to Arabia, dwelt there, was three or four years. Didn't have any contact. And he's basically trying to say Paul was, was a usurper. He started his own call. A lot of what he did was contradictory to what Jesus taught. Well, it was a different dispensation when Jesus walked the earth and when he had, the Holy Spirit had not come yet. The Comforter had not been given yet. He was not rightly dividing the word of truth. And 
he was just basically just going by Jesus' teachings, but yet he was only going by the teachings, Jesus' teachings that he wanted to know, that, that he wanted to believe, because he was ignoring a lot of the other stuff that Jesus said, totally ignoring that. But he started his own cult. Basically said Paul was this terrible person. And then he had the gall and the audacity to go on and quote verses where um, he quoted from Corinthians and Romans and all these other things that Paul wrote. And I thought to myself, you know, you can't have it both ways. All scripture is given for inspiration and, and for and this is this is for our faith and this is our rule for faith and practice. All scripture, all scripture. Okay, and no scriptures of any private interpretation. So, this is a good rationale of how cults get started. Now, if this man started to develop a following, he'd have his own cult. Maybe he could set himself up as Papa Guru. And they could burn incense to his picture seven times a day and bow to Mecca three times a day in his honor. He could really carry it the whole way. That's how people start cults. On this very thing, they take certain scriptures out of context, they ignore the rest of the Bible, and they start their own cult. Happens all the time. He taught some kind of weird salvation I never even heard of. So, getting back to this, um, the next point. What this verse does not teach. Okay, now we're talking again about 1 Timothy 2, verses 9 through 15. What this does not teach, the verse does not teach that women achieve eternal salvation in this manner. Now this is through childbirth. Salvation is not by faith and charity and sobriety. That, that would be a works salvation. Well actually salvation is by faith. But not by charity and sobriety. These, this would be, make it works. Salvation is by grace through faith without works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We've already quoted that. Okay? The works are forthcoming. The works aren't before. Okay? They're after, not before. Two, it does not promise escape from the pain of childbirth. Godly women usually suffer as much as others do in childbearing. Three, it does not promise that a godly woman will never die in childbirth. So, in other words, these are objections he's seen come up over the years. Okay, that he's addressing now, preemptively. Many godly women have died while bearing children. D. Salvation is used here not in the sense of eternal salvation, but in the sense of fruitfulness and purpose in this world. The main teaching of this verse is that the woman's primary sphere of blessing in this world is the home and her work of bearing and training children. She, she, she shall be saved through the instrumentality of bringing up children and guiding the home, actually preserved through the through the instrumentality. Because I don't want to, I don't want to get into she's saved in meaning that she's that's how you get saved. Okay, we want to stay away from that because then we're 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 dealing with workspace salvation. She's not saved through the instrumentality of bringing up children and guiding the home through the faithful performance of her duties as a wife and mother. She's not saved eternally, but that is what the context of this verse is. She shall be preserved. These are things, these are shall be works forthcoming as a result of the salvation within her. Okay, as a result of the Holy Spirit living inside her, these are things that will happen. Okay, these are fruits of the Spirit, in other words. She shall be... Um, 
she shall be saved from the arts of impostors, from the luxury and the vice of this age. If instead of wandering about, she, she remains at home, cultivates modesty, is the subject to her husband, and engages carefully in the training of her children. Now that was a quote by a guy named Wet, Wetstein. Okay? Trying to clarify this verse a little bit more. The pronoun they refers either to women in general, to the woman and her husband, or to her children. Women will be fruitful in this world if they continue faith, faithfully in the things of God. If she and her husband continue in faith in a godly manner, they together will raise godly children. Likewise, if the children continue in faith in a godly manner, they will be the woman's salvation. Now, again, we got to be real careful in that. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6. I probably would have left a couple of these points out if I would have went over this a little bit closer. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay? Now, from this standpoint, if you train up a child in the way they shall go, not always will they not depart from it, but there's a much higher likelihood if you train up a child in the way they shall go, that when they're old, they will not depart from it. There's a higher likelihood. If you train them up like a devil, then there's no chance of that. Okay, so there is there is much more of a higher chance. Okay, now, for the sake of their salvation, the children's salvation, yes. Okay, but again, if we're really saved, there's, the fruits of the spirit should be there: love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. These things should be there. If we get out of the will of God, we should see chastening on our lives. Okay? For whom the loveth, he also chasteneth, if you, and if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. Then Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. Okay? These are just things to look for in our own lives. Um, F. Okay, so this is the next point. We see an example of this in, in Timothy's mother and grandmother. Because of their faith in Christ and godliness, and because they taught Timothy the word of God. Timothy went on to serve Christ, and, and God's blessing was upon all of them as a result. Okay, again, this is like fruits of your ministry. Whatever God calls you to, to do, this is the fruit. Um, another point. This is an encouragement to all women. Every single woman, women and, and women who have no children can teach and influence children by their relationship to children as aunts, cousins, law. In other words, your life is a teaching vehicle. Okay? There's that expression that says, preach the gospel everywhere you go, if necessary, use words. Well, most of the time, what people are going to primarily observe is your life. Okay? Whether you speak a word or not, that is a way that we're all influencing other people in either a good or a bad way, or at least setting that type of example. So in that regard, you know, that's another way to look at it. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. 
Okay, number one, this is referring to teaching and prophesying. That is the context. The woman is not allowed to speak out in church services in, in, the, in the sense of teaching or preaching. Now, the reason he's saying that's the context is because this is Corinthians. Corinthians was a church that had really, really super big time fallen away. Okay, the Corinthian Christians were just full of sin. Okay, so that's the context of Corinthians. Um, and I'll, I'll read the theme of Corinthians. The subjects treated are various, but many, but may all be classified under this general theme. Christian conduct, even the tremendous revelation of truth concerning the resurrection, is made to bear upon that theme. The occasion of the epistle was a letter of inquiry from Corinth concerning marriage. And the, and the use of meats offered idols. But the apostle was much more exercised by reports of the deepening divisions and increasing contentions in the church. And of a case of incest which had not been judged. Okay, this is when we deal with 1 Corinthians 5. Um, so, again, Corinthians is addressing problems that were in the church. Okay, that's the context of, of Corinthians. Um, so, this also, this verse of scripture that we just read, 1 Corinthians 14, 34-35, this also forbids women to speak out and disturb the meetings with their questions and comments. Recently, I heard from a pastor who was troubled about two women in the church who have the habit of speaking out during the teaching and thereby disturbing the service. This is forbidden in 1 Corinthians 14. Now, this was happening in the last church that... Uh, I was in, there was two women that would show up, I don't know, about once a month. And these women, I don't know, all I can say is every time they came in the door, I just felt they had the devil all over them. That was my discernment of them. And um, basically, they would come in and sit down and just start blabbering. You, and you couldn't even hardly get the church started because they were, they were just, they were, they were contentious they were loud. They weren't in subjection to anybody at all. And yet they knew Bible. And they could quote scripture back to you. And they would interrupt the service and, and make large outbursts. And it was, it was obnoxious. It really was obnoxious. They really weren't ever rebuked by anybody. But they needed to be. And the man that had invited them there was supposedly a pastor for like 25 years. You know, he saw, you know, he would say little things to them to kind of try to get them to shut up every once in a while, but I'll, every time they came in the door, I cringed. I just cringed because I'm thinking, oh my word, I mean, here we go again. And, I, and they did it every single time. Every single time they would come in the door. Okay, but that's how a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's a great example. It wasn't dealt with, and it was unbiblical. Okay, so, um, the, this man goes on to say that, that, she can, that a woman can sing and testify in due order. If there's an open question and answer time, now I don't think it, it could be where she's answering so much, because that would fall in the realm of teaching, but if there's an open, let's say, question time, she can participate. What Paul is warning about is disorderliness here. Okay, then we go on first. The blessing of a woman's ministry. If a woman, ha if a woman may have mastered 
Men, if a woman have mastered men for evil, they have also mastered them for good. We gladly make declaration that some of the fairest and most flagrant, fragrant flowers that grow in the garden of God, and some of the sweetest and most um, best fruit that ripens in God's spiritual orchards are there because of a woman's faith, a woman's love, a woman's prayer, a woman's virtue, a woman's tears, a woman's devotion to Christ. Okay, that was from a guy, a quote from a guy named R.G. Lee. Now, again, this isn't even talking about a woman's prayer ministry. Um, he, he mentioned some of these other things. A woman's devotion to Christ, a woman's virtue, their godly example they set forth, a woman's tears. The Bible talks about in um, Psalms that God has all of our tears in a bottle. You know, I mean, granted, it's not because you, you cried because you didn't get that Ferrari, or you didn't get that nice big gigantic house that you were wanting. No, that doesn't count. I'm talking about godly tears of sorrow shed with the right, you know, with the right mindset and heart toward the Lord. I believe that. Um, so there's a lot of other things that a woman may look at and say, well, I'm not doing anything. But yeah, but there's a lot of other things that you can look at from a biblical standpoint. Their faith. Their love, their 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 um, submission to their husband, their prayers, their virtues, their tears, their devotion to Christ, the the way they've raised, um, the influence they've had on their children, these types of things. Consider some of the ways that God has used women. It was a woman who who brought Jesus into the world. Many women assisted Jesus during his earthly ministry. That was in Luke eight two through three. It was a woman who anointed Jesus for his burial prior to his death. That was Matthew 26, uh, 6.13. It was mostly women who stood at the cross. Matthew 27, 55-56. It was women who observed Jesus' burial, who came to anoint Jesus after he was dead. Luke 23, 55-56. It was a woman who first came to the empty tomb and first believed the resurrection, Matthew 28, 1-6. Through, through it was a woman who first reported the resurrection to the apostles. Uh, quite honestly, it, it appears that the women were operating at a higher level of faith than the apostles were. To me, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. I'm sorry, but they were. Because they were the ones that were at the tomb. They were the ones that seemed to have more faith. They followed Jesus to the cross, whereas all, whereas all the apostles had pretty much abandoned him. So they had more backbone than the men. Uh, women were waiting with the men in the upper room for the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.14. Women are very, very important in church work. Um, Romans 16.1-5. Romans 16.1-5. Romans 16.1-5. I command unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is, in, which is the servant of the church, which is in Centria, that ye... Receive her in the Lord as become a saints, that ye assist her in whatsoever business business she hath need of, for she hath also been a succorer of many, and of myself also. A succorer means a helper of many. Um, great greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks. Unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is 
in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epaphrodites, who is the first fruits of Acacia unto Christ. So this is dealing with um, some women they've mentioned there and their importance. Um, many of the first Christians were women. Acts 17:4 and 12, such as Lydia, the first con- convert of Philippi. Acts 16, verse 14. Women can also teach other women. Titus 2, 3-5. Titus 2, 3-5. Let's just look at that. Titus 2, 3-5. Okay. Let's just start at verse 1. <clears throat> but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, good teachers of good things. Right here it says they can be teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Now does that mean that they can go up behind a pulpit and be a preacher? No. But it says that they can teach the young woman to be sober, to love their children, to love their husbands, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. doesn't say keepers of the pulpit. Okay? Keepers of home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. It doesn't sound like anything there that the elderly women are supposed to, to usurp authority over a man. It's, it's saying exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. Okay, so I'm sorry, I don't, I don't see how Joyce Myers, I'm sorry, I don't see it. I really, really don't. There, there's no way women are called to preach. No way. Totally unbiblical. Um, so, then we go a little bit further here. Women can... Um, Women can witness to bring sinners to Christ. Women, women are crucial in the work of building strong spiritual homes so that the church is thereby strengthened in the Lord. See, we're all a team. It's the body of Christ. Each has their own place. Can the finger to say to the eye, depart of me, I have no need? Can the husband say to the wife, depart of me, I have no need of you? No. They're really super important. And a godly marriage will always be stronger if it's godly, if it's ordained of the Lord, then those two people working separately. Just in the prayer life alone, because the Bible says if one could put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand. Well, maybe that might have a, an application to prayers having more power behind them. I think it does. Sure can't hurt. You know, can't hurt. Two in agreement. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. What if one's gathered together? It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't anywhere to be found, but we're too... I think there's a spiritual dynamic that takes place when you have brethren that are dwelling godly together in unity. Brethren, how pleasant it is for, for uh, brethren to dwell together in unity. Okay, the, the psalmist talks about that Bible verse. So these are the things that, that I'm looking at here um, in regard to this. Um... Lydia is an example of a blessing of a godly woman to the work of the Lord. Acts 16, verse 12. 
Acts 16, verse 12. Acts 16, verse 12. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of, of that part of Macedonia and a colony, we were in that city abiding in certain days. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto this woman, which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. See, the Lord has to open the heart. That she attended un, unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And then when she was baptized in her household, hmm, it sounded like she had a pretty good emphasis on her household because if they were baptized, that means they got saved too. She besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us, meaning that she compelled us almost irresistibly. Okay, so, hey, that's, that's an example of the, of the Lord using... I mean, what if they had no place to stay? Well, if they, if they had no place to stay, and they would have had to have left, look, look at verse 16, and it came to, came to pass as we went to, in prayer, certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, and brought her masters much gainsaying by the soothsaying. St. Paul, the same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. In other words, I'm not going to read through this whole thing, but, but Paul and Silas may have never been able to deal with this situation that ultimately arose, had they not had any place to stay? Well, who, was, who did God so choose to do that? Lydia. Okay. Lydia was the first convert in Philippi. She then influenced her entire household to trust Christ. After she was saved, she begged Paul and Silas to stay as guests in her home. The Bible says she constrained them. This means she was a very persuasive woman. Thus, the church at Philippi was started in Lydia's home. There we go. In Acts 16.40, we see that when Paul and Silas were loosed from jail, they came to Lydia's home and were then comforted, and, then, and there they comforted the brethren. It is obvious that this is where the church was accustomed to meet. Kind of like what we're doing here today. This godly businesswoman was a very important member of the early churches. Phoebe is another example. Romans 16, 1-2. She was a servant of, the one, of one church, the church at Centria, which was near Corinth. This teaches us the importance of church membership and the importance of faithfulness to the church. But here's the problem. Church membership, well, make sure it's the right church. Because most of them are all 501c3 corporations. And I, and I don't agree with being the member of a corporation. This teaches us the importance of church membership and the importance of faithfulness to the church. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but we serve Him in this world through the church. Those who despise the church today despise the work of God, but make sure it's the church of God. Make sure it's a biblical church you're in. Big difference. He doesn't get into any of that. He doesn't have a revelation on that whatsoever. That's all he's ever known his whole life, this preacher. That doesn't make it right, but that's all he's known. Phoebe was doing the work of the Lord. She was on a business pertaining to Paul into, into the church. Many believe she was carrying the epistle of Romans to Rome. 
Paul instructed the believers to treat her with respect and to give her whatsoever assistance she needed. Priscilla is another example. She worked with her husband in starting churches. Romans 16, 3-5. She assisted her husband in instructing Apollos. This is an example of how a wife can assist in teaching the Bible to a man in an informal setting in association with her husband. There we go. In some passages, Paul mentions Priscilla first, before her husband. Let's just go there. Acts 18, 24-26. Acts 18, 24-26. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. He hadn't been privy to the full gospel at that point. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. He only knew the preaching of John the Baptist. Okay, most likely at that point. And they gave him the rest of the story. Okay? And when he was disposed to pass into Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the, the disciples to receive him, who when he was come helped them much... So, Aquila had a, a part in that, okay, but she was under subjection to her husband. Um, let's just see what Romans 16, 3-5 says. Romans 16, 3-5. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, for have who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. So, hey, you know, that's pretty neat. Um, Acts 18.18 Acts 18.18 says, And Paul after this tarried there yet a good while, and then he took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence unto Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So, he, uh, he mentions both the husband and wife team here. Now, he actually mentions Priscilla in the first, even over Aquila. This might mean she was more zealous, a uh, more zealous Christian of the two. Or it could mean that her husband spent more of his time with the tent business while she spent most of her time in the spiritual ministry. Or it could mean that Paul was closer to her. Whatever the exact reason is the fact that Paul honored her by mentoring her first before her husband. Um, okay, so, conclusion. Questions for the women. Are you saved like Phoebe? Before you can serve Christ, you must be born into God's family. Phoebe was called, quote, our sister. Are you sure you've been born again? If you are saved, your life will be changed through the Spirit. Are you faithful to the church like Phoebe? But, I have to make a proviso there, is the church you're in, a corporation under the Internal Revenue Service, reading a false Bible, participating in all manner of evil, 
and all manner of leavens entered into the church. I don't believe God's calling us to those types of churches. I believe the remnants being exactly the opposite called out of those types of churches. I believe they're beyond help. I don't, I don't think that they're going to be converted or, or, or whatever. I don't see any scriptural precedence for it or not. The Bible says if it were even possible, even the very elect would be deceived, that there would be a great falling away. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, that we are in the land of the sea and church age of Revelation 3, where they're, where they're neither hot nor cold and they think they're in need of nothing, yet they're blind, miserable, wretched, naked, weak. So, let's clarify that one. Are you serving God... Now, this is questions for the women. Are you serving God zealously like Phoebe? Are you in fellowship with your husband like Priscilla, if you have a husband? Questions for the men. Are you saved like Aquila, who was in Christ Jesus? Are you serving God together with your wife like Aquila? Is the church important to you like it was Aquila? I also think another question here is, is your wife in subjection to you like she should be? Or, or is she wearing the pants? And, and I think that's the, that's the whole thing we need to look at a little bit closer here. Who's wearing the pants? That's for just the woman's teaching. So, that's something that we need to look at a little bit more. Um, now, I ended last week in Galatians. And... Um, Let's go, let's start in the book of Hebrews. I was listening to this book the other day on, on audio Bible cassette, and I thought, you know, if Galatians was addressing the danger of, of mingling law and grace, which is what we're seeing a lot in the church today, the worst example of it is, is in the Messianic Hebrew Roots movement. Then, Hebrews is another book that very much goes into this and clarifies this issue much further. Okay, so um, this is something that I, I think is also good to look at. Now, Hebrews, the theme, the doctrinal passages reveal the purpose of this book. It was written with a twofold intent to confirm Jewish Christians by the showing that Judaism had come to an end through the fulfillment of Christ of the whole purpose of the law. And the other passages show that the writer had in view the danger ever present to the Jewish pro professed believers of their lapsing back into Judaism, which is what we have with these Messianic Jew movement, this Hebrew roots movement, or of the pausing short of the true faith in Jesus Christ. This is a warning, this book. Don't go back into the weakened beggarly elements. It is clear from the Acts, that even the strongest of the believers in Palestine were held to a strange mingling of Judaism and Christianity. See Acts 21, 18-24. Let's look at that. Acts 21, 18-24. Acts 21, 18-24. And this is something you don't ever hear preached on. I'm telling you right now, what we're just going to get into now, you don't hear this preached on. 
And the day following Paul went in with us in, unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there which are believed. If they are all, and they are all zealous of the law. Huh? What? They believe in Jesus Christ, but they're all zealous of the law? Well, that don't make a whole lot of sense. That's what they just come out of. Okay? And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after their customs. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. Take them and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads. And all may know that those things whereof were informed concerning thee are nothing. In other words, basically saying that, you know, yeah, you 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 agree that, that um, you know, um, we need to be under the law here. But they want to convince all these other Jews that that's not the case. Okay? That's what this is done, done for. And all, and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thyself walkest orderly and keepest the law. As touching the Gentiles which, which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing. In other words, they're not under the law, the Gentiles. Save, there's only one, there's only a couple things that they're, they need to do, save only that they keep themselves from things idle to op, things offered to idols, and from blood, and from strangled, and from fornication. Where did we read this before? Acts 15.29. Let's go to that real quick. Now I talked about this a little bit in the last few sessions. Acts 15.28-29. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost to lay upon you no greater burden than these things, than these things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornications, from which if she keep, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Now, who is this to? This was to the Gentiles. This was to the Gentiles. This is what verse 25 of Acts chapter 21 is in reference to. is touching the Gentiles which believe. We have written and concluded that you observe no such thing save only that you keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood. Don't eat blood if it's in the meat. Don't eat it. And from strangled and from fornication. Now, if you're eating something with strangled, it's been strangled, it's got blood in the meat. Okay, unless you've done a lot of different things to purge the blood out of the meat. i got a whole other study I've done on this. Now, that's all they're saying. And from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification. 
until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. Well, this is the law, though. Paul's doing it. Is this somewhat disturbing? <laughs> I just read another verse that I stopped short of where he had, where he had taken a vow, shaving his head. What's up with this? Well, I will say one thing. As a Gentile, I know what parameters I've got. I know what parameters I've got. Now, I think in Hebrews we're going to clear all this up. Personally. A Jew may say, look, Paul did all these things. We have to mingle grace in the law. It's hard to just go by this verse and argue with that. I'm sorry. It's very hard to argue with that. I will say one thing. It's very clear on what the Gentiles. And if, if, if you're a Gentile, then, then this isn't even a point of debate. Okay, Let's go to... Um, let me see here. Let's go to Romans 10, 2-4. Now, I'm already skipping right off Hebrews, but we're going to get back to it. Romans 10, 2-4. I like to get into these, these issues that nobody else wants to get into. I really do. I like to face it head on. I don't want to shy away from it, never preach on and never say nothing about because I'm afraid of it, because I don't understand it. No, let's, let's try to figure this thing out. What if somebody comes up to you and blindsides you then? How are you going to give a hope for the answer within you if he blindsides you with something like this? Well, I've never been taught on that because I was afraid. No, give me a break. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Amen! Me too! For I bear them a record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Well, maybe maybe they were still working the kinks out. Maybe they were still getting the cobwebs out of the out of the, the closet, so to speak. Getting really fully coming out of, of not practicing the law. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, well, how do you do that? Through the law. Have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Well, the Bible says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Everyone, it doesn't say just Jew, and saying everyone. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith, faith, that's what it always boils down to, faith, look at the book of Galatians, but the righteousness which is of faith speak on this wise, say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep. That is to bring Christ again up from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That's what they preach, the word of faith. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Well, many say, well, where does it say you've got to say some prayer to get saved? It doesn't say you've got to say some prayer to get saved. Well, the Bible says right here in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if, shall confess, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
says you're supposed to confess it with your mouth. What if I, what if I was mute and didn't have a tongue? Well, then God knows your heart. What if I had tape over my mouth and I was being interrogated? Okay, you know, let's be reasonable here. But if you have the capacity to confess the Lord with your mouth, and He knows your heart, the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart. So it's not just enough to confess it with your mouth and not believe it in your heart. It's not enough to believe it in your heart and not confess it with your mouth. It says you got to do both. I'm sorry. It says you got to do both. It says, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the